0: Welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram back-to-back winner of Motor Trend's Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer for Sportsnet.ca. And joining me today, two guys ready to talk NHL draft at last. It is, of course, Roy Boylan, Sportsnet's NHL editor and our prospect guru, Sam Cosentino. Sammy, you made it. The draft is happening. Days away. What a crazy slog.
1: Yeah, it's been pretty wild. All the cancellations, all the Zoom calls, uh, all the people uh, that have unfortunately lost their jobs through all of this. Like, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy time. And I don't know, man. I, you're, you're looking around. I don't know if it's getting any better anytime soon here. I mean, you have some leagues playing over in Europe. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is supposed to get going here. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we're a long way from the finish line, that's for sure.
0: Well, your final draft rankings are up at Sportsnet.ca and you've got a mock draft coming on Monday as well. And I do want to pick up on something you wrote about in your uh, in your final rankings, of course. Um, you know, like you said, there is a real human element to this. People have lost their jobs. And I think it's important to, to not forget that, um, you know, we're all amped up, of course, for the excitement of what's going to happen. And I was going to say, who's going to go first? I guess we know that. But, um, you know, there's there's real life stakes here for people. And uh, I'm glad you acknowledged that in your ranking. So with that, we will turn to the players themselves. We want to talk about where you've got guys listed and where you think some of the the action might be. So, I mean, we know it's a slam dunk. It's Lafreniere, number one. Did it get more interesting than you thought at Number two, three with Byfield and Stutzel, or you know, when the dust settled, was it a pretty clear uh, differentiation between those two?
1: Well, I, I think if I if I look at the two players, I just think that Stutzel is a little bit more NHL ready than where Quinton Byfield is. But other than that, I think they're both going to be stars in the National Hockey League. I mean, you know, Byfield, even at six four two fifteen, he's still got a lot of room to grow which is amazing to me to think of what he might play out at the next level is, is absolutely yeah. crazy. He might look like Victor Edmund by the time it's all said and done <laughs> out there. Uh, and he clearly is above the crowd. When you see him on the ice, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Edmund. You don't need to see the number or anything else, yeah. you know, the crazy beard. You know right away that's him. And, and Byfield may end up being that guy. I just think he needs a little more seasoning. I, I'd like to see him compete in the World Juniors. They say it's going to happen. We're still a long ways away from that. But I'd like to see him take a key role there. As part of his development moving forward because uh, last year, of course, he didn't play that much being being one of the really younger players on the team. So um, I, I would be happy with either guy, that's for sure.
2: Uh, Sam, I want to ask you about the the top of the defenseman class here. And I think at the start of the year, maybe for most of the year, Jamie Drysdale was that that guy expected to go first among the defensemen. Jake Sanderson has been a riser. And I was surprised that he was all the way up at number four in your final rankings. What has uh, led to Sanderson's rise and how close are he and Drysdale?
1: Well, I I think the first thing is uh, when you look at the playoffs that were just coming off, you've seen those big defensemen who play that two-way style of game. who are logging a bunch of minutes. who are getting the top matchups against, yet still finding a way to, to produce. And I think Sanderson really fits that mold. I might have not have thought that at the start of the year because you looked at a guy who really accepted the responsibility of being a captain, a leader, playing the right way, being a guy who knew he had to take care of things in his own end first and really focused on that and was really good at it. Nasty in the net front, uh, winning battles in the corners, you know, just moving pucks and playing a simple style of defensive game. But as the year wore on, I think he realized and took it upon himself to say, you know what, we have sort of a meat and potatoes team here. We don't have the rock stars from 2001. So I need to accept more responsibility in the offensive side of things. And then his game started to grow in that area and obviously culminating with one of the best performances I've ever seen by a player at the BioSteel game in Plymouth in January. And now here we are, not a chance to, for him to kind of continue that forward development at the under-18s. But I think the recency bias of what we've seen in the playoffs – Will play a big part. It did in my mind, but not just in mine, but in a lot of national league teams' minds as well. You know, having said that, there's no way this guy's going below 10th. So it's gonna happen really early for Jake.
0: Well, let's bring Ottawa into the mix here. And I don't want to step on your mock draft, but they're an interesting team because obviously they have three and five. I'm just curious, um, assuming they do take a center at number three. Do you think five is in play? Do you think they do have to lean a little heavier towards maybe adding a defenseman drafting for need, looking at a guy like Sanderson? What do you see there? Is there some potential for some intrigue at five with Ottawa?
1: Well, Pierre Dorian is always the guy who trumpets the horn and says, we're going to take the best player available. But when I look at their prospect pool, he's right. They, their prospect pool is awesome. Matt Sogard, Joey DeCordon goal. On the back end, you've got Brandstrom, you've got Lassie Thompson, Jacob Bernard, Docker. Those guys are all knocking on the door, some of them with NHL games. If I look up front and I think about Formington, uh, Batherson, and Josh Norris, I mean, that's a really good group of high-end prospects and probably all of whom you will see at some point, except for maybe Sogard, play NHL games if we have a season. So having said that, it really allows Pierre Dorian to settle back in the, in the thing that he always says and fall back on that, we're going to take the best player available. If it were me, I'd want to continue building that prospect pool and continue to build assets at the most coveted positions. So I do think it's the center, Stutzler, or Byfield at three. And I do believe it's going to be a defenseman, Sanderson or Drysdale at five.
2: Without giving away any of the mock draft, again, sportscent.ca on Monday, check that out. Um, When you were working the sources, trying to find out that order, is there a team that you think uh, that was harder to pin down that you would recognize that might kind of blow up your mock draft because they might do something unexpected or, or even make a trade or something?
1: Well, I'd say almost Rory. That I mean, you have to look at the teams' with multiple picks, and Ottawa fits in that mold. So do the Rangers after they, uh, you know, select Lafreniere. You look at Anaheim, and of course, New Jersey with the new general manager and Tom Fitzgerald having three picks uh, of their own. So those teams always have that potential to shake up the draft. I do think that the early picks aren't likely to move unless you really get a deal that knocks your socks off. Because I like that top 10 group of players. Um, But when I look at how things might go a little bit sideways, there are two things that come into mind to me. First of all are Hendricks LaPierre and Yaroslav Askarov, Both guys who would have been at the start of the year projected to be top 10 picks. Um, for LaPierre, it's been about proving that he's not injured. He's been playing in Quebec Major Junior Hockey League preseason games, and he's done pretty well. I think he had eight points in four games. And then if I look at Askrov, the start to his season, obviously phenomenal as the KHL Player of the Week. So those two guys, I think, have the, uh, the opportunity to really shake things up. Probably not inside a 10, but if you really want the goalie, I think you have to reach that high uh, uh, to get him. So I do think that those guys will, will definitely have a say. But in trying to nail down teams, uh, it's been more difficult to differentiate between these players. They're really, really good. I would be happy if I were sitting anywhere inside a 10 in this draft because as things play out, there could be a number of players there from Alexander Holtz to Sanderson, Dry, uh, Drysdale, Perfetti, Raymond, Lundell, Jack Quinn, Marco Rossi. Uh, those are all the guys that I feel fit in after what we're going to see in the top three. And I really, honestly, would be happy with any one of those guys.
0: So let me pick up on Askarov there. It sounds like this could be the second year in a row after Spencer Knight. We see a goalie go in the top I think he went 13 last year, yeah. um, but that, you know, we're talking right on the fringe of the top 10, of course, you know, conventional wisdom has really swung hard. You don't take him in the first round at all. Are we looking at a two year anomaly because of very special prospects, or do you think the mindset could be shifting a little bit back? I mean, you, you got it in your write-up. I mean, this guy could be a franchise
1: changer. Yeah, he could. So it's, it's a fascinating discussion because you know, the way I look at it is you have to have, you have to be a franchise. That is obviously very patient, um, obviously looking at a situation where you're probably not gonna get that player for five years. So for me, if I'm gonna draft a goalie in the first round, I wanna be one of those organizations that's a perennial playoff team that has its goaltending situation figured out for at least the next three years, and then I might take a shot. And so I use the example of Sam Sonoff back in two thousand and fifteen, where Washington selected him. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was in that 16 to 22 range. Yeah. So they knew he was going to play a couple of years in the KHL, which he did. Then he came over and played in the American League. And finally this year, you're able to see him play NHL games and play really well. They were really patient with him. They had Holpe locked up so they didn't have to rush him. They were a perennial playoff team. So whether they had that goalie they drafted in the first round earlier or later, didn't really seem to matter. When I look at the three goalies taken, Uh, most recently in the first round. We'll start with Jake Ottinger, who was selected by Dallas. He was the backup for Dallas in in the bubble. Uh, But he was selected by Jim Nill. When I look at Spencer Knight, the general manager that drafted him is Dale Tallon. He's no longer there. Uh, And then the Samsonov, when he was selected by Washington, it was George McPhee who made that pick, not Brian McClellan. So the point being is pretty good chance if you draft a goalie, By the time he actually has an impact on your NHL team, you're not going to be the general manager of that team. So you either be really confident in your contract, really confident uh, in feeling loyal with your ownership in a situation like Winnipeg where they've been extremely loyal to their group since, you know, rejoining the league essentially. Uh, And I, and I think that a situation that presents itself or maybe makes the conditions right for drafting a goalie there.
2: So Sam, um, obviously st- a strange season. We didn't get um, CHL playoffs, Memorial Cup. A lot of playoffs didn't happen uh, this year. So I want to ask you about players who you think were either helped or hurt by not getting those late season viewings uh, from scouts. And I'd like to start that conversation with uh, Seth Jarvis, who you ranked 15th on your rankings, um, second in WHL scoring with 98 points in 58 games. But 63 amazingly 63 of those points came in his last 26 games so he seems like a guy who had he played in the in the playoffs maybe that would have helped his ranking so tell us a little bit about Jarvis and maybe a couple of other guys who were helped or hurt by not getting those late viewings
1: yeah no question so Jarvis would have been a very interesting character being being more of a sleight of frame guy when the game gets a little heavier in the playoffs he probably wasn't going to perform at that two plus point per game pace but production in general likely would have been good having said that if I'm looking at Seth he probably would have gotten into a situation where he would have cemented himself inside of 50 but based on the way it ended for him as it is I think he cemented inside of 20 so there might have been a small opportunity to move up for me I don't think Seth Jarvis was getting inside the top 10 so there wasn't a whole lot of room for him to move anyways and you never know how things go what if he goes in, plays with Portland, doesn't play well? Now, all of a sudden, you have those conflicting viewings as a scout just watching that two-plus point-per-game guy or watching a guy who, who struggled a little bit in the playoffs. So whether it helped him or hurt him, not, not a huge impact for him, but it's nice to have that lasting impression of the two-plus point-per-game guy. So when I look at some of the other guys when it came to the pause, I think I would have loved to have seen um, Quinton Byfield. You know, in a situation where in the World Juniors there was a lot of pressure, he didn't get a lot of ice time, or with Sudbury in the playoffs, he would have been a key guy. And they had a good team. They had a real opportunity to do some damage in the Eastern Conference in the Ontario Hockey League. But, of course, he would have had to be the lead guy to make that happen. So I would have loved to have watched him play in that situation. In terms of helping or hurting players, the interesting thing I find is that the players that are probably benefiting most from all of this are the players in Europe who are back playing again. So Lucas Raymond, for example, is a guy who didn't play big minutes um, with for last year. Really tough to get a read on him when he played in the SHL. When he was with his peer group, obviously he was awesome. But you still want to see him compete against SHL competition. Well, that opportunity never presented itself on a consistent enough basis with the kind of quantity of minutes you need to do that. Well, this year he's on for top line. They played in a couple of games already. He's already got a couple of points. You know, they tell me over there when, when I was talking to some people over there that he's more confident, that he's bigger, he's stronger. So no doubt, this all happening before he gets drafted is a huge benefit for him. Anton Lundell, same sort of thing. People, myself included, question, what's this guy's offensive upside like? When you go back and look at the numbers, his last 25 games after the injury last year, he had 16 points. And I want to say it was right around a point per game in the preseason in the Liga. One thing we can say pretty confidently about the Liga is if you go back and look at the the line A's and the Rantman's and the Kotkaniemi's um the Barkov's these players who play in the Liga who put up good numbers in their draft year actually translate to have success in the National Hockey League so now when I'm looking at Lundell I'm saying well maybe those offensive deficiencies aren't there based on him getting another start, having, you know, the pandemic to train and to get back into action and now proving that he can be that point per game guy playing in a men's league as a younger player.
2: Sam, we'll get you out on this one. You touched on it a bit in your rankings at the top, but how do you think scouting is going to change coming out of this strange time?
1: Well, I mean, you're looking at these Zoom calls, which is what we're doing here right now so you know I think that's going to be a way in which scouts will continue to connect with the players I mean are you going to be allowed to go down and talk to a player after a game is anyone going to feel comfortable with that that's not likely the scenario at least for what I think is the next year or so um, you look at video scouting same sort of thing do you want a whole bunch of scouts traversing North America and Europe going to see players, I think it becomes more regionalized in that regard. I think it opens up more part-time opportunities for people because you can just kind of focus on an area. And again, you're not traveling. You'll be back in your own bed at night. Um, I also think analytics has been a big part of what's happened here. Uh, In that a lot of the traditional scouts have never really leaned on numbers or wanted to lean on numbers and and have now had the time either to learn more about it or be to try and embrace it a little bit, especially when a lot of people in the front office of working above them are being hired to do just that. So you can either jump on that bandwagon or you can kind of deny it and refute it and, and kind of be stuck in that old guard. But moving forward, I don't think there's any question that it's going to be a part of every team's conversation if it hasn't been already only more so now because we're getting less of that in-person viewing information that we're normally able to get. So I do think there is a bit of an evolution uh, that's going to take place with getting beyond what we see when we get through this pandemic.
0: All right, Sammy, tons of great info as always. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's a busy time.
1: All right. Thanks, R&R. Take care, guys.
0: All right, that is Sportsnet. Sam Cosentino. Check out all his draft stuff on sportsnet.ca. The rankings up now. The mock draft coming on Monday. All right, when we come back on the other side of the break, Rory and I are going to key in on a few really intriguing teams to watch here in the next few days. Stick around. Lots more to come on Tape to Tape. welcome back to tape to tape all right Rory uh the draft of course uh one of the big events coming next week also something that could be slipping under the radar here a little bit is uh the deadline to extend qualifying offers to retain your RFA so I want to talk a little bit about that and then let's talk about some teams we're keeping an eye on as we head into these major events next week so um you know, how many times can we say it? We live in crazy times right now. There are unforeseen financial constraints that could, in theory, cause some teams to say, you know what? Rather than extend a QO to someone, we're just going to let him become a UFA. Do you anticipate that happening uh, more frequently than past years when it, you know, it happens, but it doesn't happen a ton?
2: Yeah. Like the, the last day of qualifying offers is kind of a, uh- Ho-hum day for the most part. Every once in a while they get a little bit of a surprise, and a guy who you've heard of before um, gets left unqualified and added to the UFA pool. But generally, all these guys get qualified. Um, you'd rather trade away an asset than lose them for nothing at that young of an age. Um, but you've got to qualify them at a at a certain rate relative to what their previous uh contract, uh, contract was. was. So under this tight cap where everybody's trying to save as much money as they can to get into the free agent market, to get into the trade market. Now it becomes a real possibility that some of these guys who in previous years would have been automatic uh, qualifying are now going to possibly be left unqualified. And you know, when you're talking about Canadian teams, you wonder, you know, Vancouver, you know, they've got three big free agents. They got to sign. Do they, do they, qualify Jake for Tannen or do they let him go that's a guy they would love to trade but can you afford to keep him in Edmonton the guy they're talking about is Andreas Athanasiu, who they traded a second round pick for uh, to try and find some chemistry there with Connor McDavid didn't happen really fast player a ton of potentially just doesn't hasn't really got it consistently yet so again, as Edmonton tries to find help in net, maybe an upgrade on the blue line with the Oscar Clef bomb injury news, certainly they need more depth up front, cheaper depth. Um, Andres Athanasio becomes a guy who maybe gets left unqualified. In Toronto, it's Evan Rodriguez is the guy that is being talked about as, as potentially being left unqualified. So the, the question is, how big does this turn into? Um, how many more guys will get left on the free agent market? And at the same time, are any of these guys going to acknowledge the situation that they're in and sign for under their qualifying offer to keep, um, um, to, to stay on the team, um, to keep that security, I guess, rather than go into a free agent market where, sure. I mean, who knows? Who knows? You, you, you might not get that qualifying offer in the free agent market anyway. And, and it, there's no telling if anybody's going to give you a contract.
0: All right, so speaking of that free agent market, let's talk about a couple teams you're keeping a close, close eye on, not just in terms of UFAs, but trades here. Are there a couple teams that you think are really poised to make some noise? I'll start by saying um, Colorado. I mean, just given the room they have, how close it feels that team is, I just have to believe they're going to be sniffing hard on – um, I mean, I still think Taylor Hall makes a lot of sense there. What what are you thinking beyond uh, maybe an avalanche team that's right on the precipice in terms of clubs that really could be ready to spring into action?
2: Yeah, I picked out three teams that I'm just, I'm so interested because there's some buzz around them. What are they going to do here? Number one, I think obvious, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've got to make an upgrade on that blue line. They're, they're tied to potentially getting Alex Petrangelo in here, but... To make that work, they're going to have to move out some other money. And, and how is that going to happen? Um, some names that have been on the trade rumor connected to the Leafs, Dreas Janssen, um, Alexander Kerfoot. You wonder about Freddie Anderson, too. If they can, There's a, such a deep goalie market. If you can find somebody that you are good enough with that you can maybe save some money on in net, does Freddie Anderson become a trade candidate for the Toronto Maple Leafs as he heads into the last year of his contract? So a lot of things could happen in Toronto, and that's obviously always uh, big news when the Leafs do things like this. Uh, another team, uh, you know, and this is a team that's really tight to the cap, but they're mentioning a lot of these rumors. They're always mentioning these big rumors. The Vegas Golden Knights. Um, Can I got just... The situation, you've got the situation... Ju- I have to jump in and
0: say Vegas, it's crazy that they've not only become instantly competitive, they're also instantly rivaling the Rangers and Flyers yes. as teams that are just like, so-and-so's available <laughs> in New York and Philly, New York. and <laughs> Now it's Vegas too. They're, they're in that, they're right there.
2: Yes. They're right there. Like they will not shy away at making a big trade or throwing the money. And everyone at-
0: wants to go there.
2: Exactly. They're a destination for the players too. So both sides would want to make it work. And you, obviously you've got that, that situation in goal where, uh, Mark Andre Fleury still making seven million dollars against the cap, but I, I, you know, Robin Lehner was the starter in the playoffs. Robin Lehner is a free agent. Do they sign him before he goes to market or after? What does that mean for Fleury? Do they have to trade him? Do they have to retain salary? I don't think they're going to buy him out. That would be pretty costly. But how is that whole thing going to, you know, settle itself? Um, and then somehow, even though they're so close to the cap, they're still tied to alex petrangelo who reportedly would be interested in going there of course everybody is um but if you're going to make that work how are you what money are you going to move out to allow for that so there's all these puzzle pieces um i'm not sure how it would all come into place but there's so much potential for vegas as always to do something massive so they're on my list and another team this is more on the fringes i think but I think there's some urgency. You got a new GM in Buffalo. They've made the trade for Eric Stahl to hopefully be that 2C behind Jack Eichel. There were some minor Jack Eichel rumors for a, a brief second earlier this week and it seems that's something that if it's going to happen is more going to be down the road, but that speaks to the urgency to how they have to get this thing back on the rails. If Buffalo is well out of the playoffs again next off season, then that Jack Eichel trade talk is probably going to start to pick up steam again. And does he really want to be there? Is he going to ask for a trade out and all that stuff? So, I uh, well, Kevin Adams is brand new in the GM chair, that pressure is as high as it's ever been. And it's not obvious how you take this team to the next level. It's such a tough division in conference. The East is tougher than the West now. Um, how does a team like Buffalo get through, get into that top eight next year? You got to find something... On the goalie market, which is going to play into Buffalo's hands hopefully this year. But there's so much else to deal with on that team, not least of which is just the environment in the room and how they are not accepting losing anymore, the players. It, they're really tired of it. Jack Eichel spoke about being exhausted about and, and finished with, with losing. But it's easier to get out of that cycle, uh, easier to say how you're going to yeah. get out of that cycle than it is to pull off. So it's going to be interesting to me to see what Buffalo doesn't just... Two quick teams, honorable mentions. Tampa Bay, who we talked about on our last show. Don't want to get into them too much, but obviously tight to the cap. A lot of offer sheet implications there, and they've got to figure out a bunch of things. And the Florida Panthers. um, New GM, again, there was some thought that they might cut costs. Now they're a team that's also kind of been... Mention a little bit with Alex Petrangelo. Maybe they'll spend up a little bit more. They're losing a couple of key UFAs, it looks like, and Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadnov, a couple of younger guys that could move up. But they've made a trade for Patrick Hornquist, who, if he's healthy, tells me, you know, that's a guy who's got that playoff pedigree, that leadership. That tells me that they want to keep the push forward. So what are the Panthers going to do to make sure that they stay on track? All
0: right, might as well throw one more in the pile, too, with Arizona, obviously, another new GM there with Bill Armstrong, who knows what might be happening uh, if they really dig in and turn things over there. Okay, here's our plan, Rory. We're going to let things play out next week at the draft, and through free agency, we're going to stuff our face with Turkey, and we're going to come back after Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada and go over everything we anticipate, obviously, a ton of things, a ton of news happening in the next 10 days or so so we're gonna let uh everything play out and then come in and uh, tell everyone what we think sound good
2: sounds good sounds like a plan
0: all right thanks so much to my co-host as always for joining me today thanks to michael mares our producer mike to our video man check back soon for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape